0: Walters Sports Bar is excited to welcome Nationals fans back to the ballpark this spring, located directly across the street from Nationals Park. Walters is the preeminent sports bar in Navy Yard, boasting over 35 televisions, both indoors and out. Walters is a great location to catch the Nats all season long. Walters encourages all fans to check out coronavirus.dc.gov to get up-to-date information on current dining restrictions. Go Nats!
1: You know, Walters a great place to uh, celebrate when the Nats win, but it's also a great place to drown your sorrows when dealing with another Steven Strasburg trip to the injury list. So whatever your needs are, Walters is there for you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the
2: best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data And now the set. Here's the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball, right field, but playable for Paven Smith. Moving in under it, he waits and he makes the catch, and the game is over. The Diamondbacks earn the victory in a split of the four game series with the Nationals.
0: You have questions about Strasburg, so we shut him down, put him on the IL. He had
3: to get an MRI on the shoulder. He's got some inflammation on the shoulder, so we want to be smart
0: and um, there's going to be no timetable when he comes back, but hopefully we get him back soon. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, April 19th, 2021, along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark back from his day off watching his son play Little League and the way that things are going for the Nats rotation. They may need Mark's son to pitch a game sometime soon. Steven Strasburg placed on the 10-day injured list on Sunday morning. The immortal Paulo Espino, making the spot start actually doesn't do that bad, but the Nats offense gets shut down. The defense sloppy way too often again, and the Nats fall to five and eight, a 5-2 loss to Arizona at Nationals Park to split a four-game series. Mark, does your son have any minor league options left, or are you contesting that a la Scott Boris with Eric Fetty a few weeks back?
1: No, he's got plenty of options and may need to uh, be available to go up and down as much as possible. Sunday's game was a tough watch, but uh, Saturday's game that I attended... 15-12, to 12 curly W victory for the boys in four innings. A lot of walks, a lot of stolen bases, but they found a way to get it done, unlike the Nationals on Sunday. Command was a little off for the kids. They still got to work on that, but it was opening day, a lot of time to get it straightened out, and uh, maybe if one of them can figure it out, maybe uh, Dave Martinez and Jim Hickey need a little help up here at sometime soon. They might have to place a call to the boys.
0: Yeah, well, Austin Both, Ryan Harper, and Kyle McGowan on Sunday combined for six walks. So it's really not that uh, much of a departure from what you witnessed <laughs> there on Saturday. But no doubt, I mean, the news of Sunday, what everyone is talking about on Monday is the Steven Strasburg situation. As once again, we are told a national is fine, and then it turns out he's not so fine. Strasburg stunningly put on the 10-day injured list on Sunday morning, literally hours before first pitch, put on the IL retroactive to April 15th, With right shoulder inflammation, there's, of course, the macro of a bigger picture. But there's also, of course, the micro of, okay, what exactly is this? How long might he be out? You spoke to Davey at length in his pregame Zoom press conference. What did Davey have to say about this?
1: So, you you know, you say, shockingly, you know, put on the the injured list a couple hours before game time. And and yes, we weren't necessarily sitting there waiting for that news to come out. But in hindsight, are we shocked by this? No, not based on what we saw on Tuesday in St. Louis. It's not shocking at all. I think it was pretty obvious to all of us watching the game that something didn't look right. And I mentioned at the time that if you look throughout his entire career, anytime Steven Strasburg has been that bad, you know, seven, eight, nine runs allowed in a game, it's either been because he's been hurt or because he was tipping his pitches. He wasn't tipping his pitches. We knew that. We had a feeling he might be hurt. They insisted that that wasn't the case. And now all of a sudden, two hours before game time, they're acknowledging. That he was hurt. So what Davey Martinez said, and, and we only have this from Davey because Stephen declined to speak to reporters before today's game. What we know is this on Thursday through his regular bullpen session in between starts, and everything looked good to those who were watching it. Then afterwards, he noted that he was having some pain in his shoulder or that he didn't feel right in his shoulder. So they sent him on Friday for an MRI. The results came back and showed inflammation and about five o'clock on Sunday afternoon, they placed the call down to Fredericksburg and told Paolo Espino to come on up, and he was starting Sunday's game. We found out, of course, about 11, 10.30 a.m. Sunday, about two and a half hours before first pitch. So a little bit last minute scrambling, but by the same token, they had a sense at least for a couple of days that something might not be right there. And certainly, like I said, anybody who watched that game Tuesday Can't be shocked by this because it was pretty clear to me that something was wrong. And in a way, maybe it's better that now they know what it was, as opposed to, as we said, the possibility that there was nothing wrong with him. And that in which case, how do you explain one of the best pictures in the world being that bad?
0: Yeah, you definitely can look at it that way. But of course, there's also a bigger picture of he's hurt again. You know, last year he makes just the two starts due to the carpal tunnel neuritis. This season he has made two starts. One was good, the second one was terrible, and now he's out again. With right shoulder inflammation, and of course, that's the kind of thing that could maybe mean he misses just a start or two. But it's also the kind of thing where maybe he misses more than that. Maybe it's something that lingers throughout the season. And it's just you know, to me, like it's impossible to look at Strasburg and not look at him through the prism of seven years, two hundred forty-five million dollars. You know, we all wanted the Nats to resign Strasburg. So I'm not going to be a phony on this and say, oh, I was screaming not to do this. No, I was in favor of that. But that was a risk, right? Giving 245 million for seven years to a guy in his 30s with the injury history that Strasburg possesses, and so far, I mean, it's alarming here that he's had a hard time staying healthy. This is year two of that seven-year deal. Like, it can't keep going like this. At some point, we got to see this guy pitch and stay healthy, and you know, live up to that deal. And you know, it doesn't mean that he won't because of the start we're off to with this contract, but. You know, I I think like with Strasburg, it's not just about the here and now. It's about kind of this bigger picture of you spent a lot of money on this guy, and so far you've not been able to reap the benefits from that.
1: Yeah, all of that is fair. He has made four starts since signing that contract extension. One of them was the start in Baltimore. He didn't make it out of the first inning. And one of them was last Tuesday night in St. Louis when he got rocked. So, yeah, you, you need a little more for your investment than that. And It's certainly fair to look at the long-term picture here, and there's a lot of questions to be asked about that. But I think even just looking within the prism of what it means this season, think about over his career, the times that he has been hurt, and what the effect on the team has been. I can think of maybe one instance where the team was all right without him. I want to say that was in 2016, when they still won the division, even though he was dealing with stuff and and missed a, a decent chunk of the season, and then was not available to them in the playoffs. Other than that, any other time that he's missed any length of time because of injury, it's had a significant effect and a bad effect on this team. And we talked about it all spring. What is this team's path to victory in 2021? It's behind the rotation. It's behind Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, and then to a lesser extent, Lester and Ross and whoever else they might need. If you're missing one of those three, the big three, for any length of time, that is a major problem for this team. And oh, by the way, Patrick Corbin isn't right either. And there's major questions about him going into his next start on Tuesday. So it's bad for Strasburg and within the the prism of his own contract, but it's really bad for the team because it's hard to see how they win, win a lot this year if he's not making at least 20, 25 starts for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was the number one wild card coming into the season. His health and his absence, again, exposes that lack of starting pitching depth for the Nats, where their number two guy as a rotation replacement, if you consider Eric Fedde to be number one to begin the season, is this guy Paolo Espino, okay? And all due respect to the Espino family, but for those who don't know who Paolo Espino is, he's in his age 34 season, he's had multiple stints in the Nats' farm system, he is someone who has been a journeyman. This is not like some prospect, some young guy they threw out there on Sunday and, hey, let's see what the young kid has. And we hope that this is the start of many good years to come for Paulo Espino. It's like, no, this is a classic patchwork starter for the Nationals. That's who they turn to in terms of like a second guy when it comes to like backup starting pitchers. Fetty is one. Espino ends up being number two. They didn't go to Austin Voth, interestingly. It looks like they want to keep him as a reliever. And he's looked good in that role so far. But like Paolo Espino, this is the state of the organizational starting pitching depth, Paolo Espino. And not that he was wretched on Sunday because he wasn't, but that's not the point. You want to try to unseat the Atlanta Braves with the likes of Paolo Espino as your rotational depth. That's a concern. That's a problem.
1: Yeah. Now, look, there's a little bit of extenuating circumstances there, which is if we are to believe that they didn't truly know until Saturday that they needed a replacement starter, Some other options in Fredericksburg were not going to be available because they had already pitched in the last few days, and so it it worked out that it was on Espino's turn. So that's part of it. All things being equal, he may not have been their choice, their first choice for this game. But those other options, we're not talking about big-time prospects. We're talking about, you know, a little bit younger guys who still aren't projected to be long-term members of the rotation, more depth guys, but maybe slightly better you know, option than Espino was. But, you know, by that token, if they are acting like they're surprised by what happened, then they did not properly prepare for this. You had to know last Tuesday night that you needed to be ready just in case something was wrong with Strasburg. And so if they ultimately, you know, let somebody else pitch in Fredericksburg who may have been a better option than Paolo Espino, then they owed upon themselves to have made sure that that person was available. Now, again, we're talking Rogelio Armenteros or Ben Bramer, we're not talking elite uh, prospects waiting on the cusp of, of being in the big leagues. But, you know, they seem like they were caught with their pants down a little bit, and I'm not sure that that was necessary in this case. We're driven
2: by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
0: Hey everyone, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. So we've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right, new users get up to $1,000 back in side credit if your first bet doesn't win and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back in side credit each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. If you live in Virginia, you have access to the sportsbook. So if you want to place a wager as you watch, say, the former Nat Lucas G. Little pitch Monday morning in Boston on Patriots Day, by all means, have at it. There's a reason FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT.
3: 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. One hundred nine with it, Indiana, one hundred two seven zero seven one one seven for confidential help in Michigan, one hundred gambler, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. or in West Virginia, visit www100 gamblernet
1: Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at real Rachel.
2: Batting seventh and catching Jan Gomes. Center fielder Victor Robles batting eighth and batting ninth. 34-year-old right-hander Paolo Espino, who makes his fourth career major league start at the age of 34. Turner Soto Zimmerman, Castro Harrison Schwarber, Gomes, Robles, and Espino for the Nationals.
0: So Espino, like we said, wasn't awful. Two runs, four into third innings. Gives up five hits, two of which were homers, to go with three singles and a walk. Had three strikeouts. Gave up a leadoff homer to Josh Rojas in the top of the first. Gave up a leadoff homer to Carson Kelly in the top of the fourth on a one-two pitch. I think you take that if you're the Nats. The bullpen actually ended up being disappointing. But you made a reference on Twitter to Miss Iowa, and it's a great reference. But for those who are unfamiliar with that reference, what is the backstory of Miss Iowa?
1: So it hit me when Jerome Hruska, the PA announcer, was giving the starting lineup about, you know, five minutes before game time. And he gets to the number nine spot and he says, the starting pitcher, number, I feel bad, I don't even know what his number was, Paolo Espino. And there's that little bit in the crowd. It, some of them knew because, you know, like I said, it had been a couple of hours. But there was a few of them that kind of had that, wait, who, what? Wait, wait, wait. I thought Strasburg was pitching today. And it took me back to a date. July 27th, 2010, this was supposed to be Steven Strasburg's 10th big league start, and this is when every Strasburg start was a huge deal. Sellout crowds, literally sellout crowds every time he pitched, and the crowd was psyched up and ready for him that night against the Braves. And then about five minutes, literally five minutes before game time, somebody noticed that in the bullpen was not Steven Strasburg, but was Miguel Batista a journeyman reliever, swingman been around big leagues for a long time. He was a valuable member of that year's team. So he's not not quite Paolo Espino category, but certainly not who the fans there paid to see. And when Jerome announced Miguel Batista starting the game, there was an audible gasp and even some boos from the crowd that night. And what happened? Miguel Batista tossed five scoreless innings against the Braves. They won the game, wound up getting, you know, a standing ovation when he left the mound and then provided one of the all-time great quotes after the game when he was asked if he had heard the booze, And he said, but you know what? I understand. They came here expecting Miss Universe and they got Miss Iowa. (laughs) And it's just one of the all-time great quotes. Now then, of course, word got to the real Miss Iowa about this and she made a little bit of you know a snide response to it on Twitter. And then Miguel Batista actually wound up inviting her to come to Nats Park. And it was like, this is within a week, maybe not even a week later. There she is throwing out the first pitch at Nats Park. Miguel Batista presented her with a bouquet of roses. They turned into a very nice little moment there. But that was forever known as the Miss Iowa game. And um, Espino had a chance to be the new Miss Iowa. He didn't quite get there, but I'm not going to fault him for it. Two solo homers under the circumstances he gave them a chance. You can't fault him for that one.
0: That is such a great story. That is such a great job by Batista. And let's give the Nats organization some credit, taking something like that and turning it into something fun at a time when the Nats were not good. I mean, 2010, you're still a year or two away from the Nats becoming truly competitive, even though the Strasbourg phenomenon was such a great thing that season. That is a great story from the darker days of the Nationals franchise. So Espino does what he does, and then the bullpen is unable to prevent any further bleeding from happening. And look, I, the Nats bullpen to me so far has been good, so I don't want to beat up on it too much. But I think the danger of all this with Corbin struggling, with Strasburg struggling and being out, you know, with Ross and Fetty being now rotation mainstays for at least a little while. But, you know, even at their best, they're still talking five, six innings. Davey is having to lean on the bullpen a ton. And we see Wander Suero get placed on the 10-day injured list on Sunday morning with this left oblique strain that was suffered on Saturday. You know, you're once again having to use three, four relievers in a game. You use four guys on Sunday, Sam Clay, Austin Voth, Ryan Harper, Kyle McGowan. And, you know, it's unrealistic to expect these guys to be locked down game in, game out. And sure enough, four relievers on Sunday combined to give up three runs in four and two-thirds innings, six hits, six walks, only one of which was intentional. You know, the bullpen was bound to falter, and it did falter on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I can't say I was totally surprised by it. And I think you saw some calculated decisions there by Davey. You know, the game was close. It was two to one, and then it was three to one. And he probably was tempted to start thinking about getting guys like Rainey and Hudson in Hand warmed up the A bullpen. And then it got to that point, it was three one. And he actually had both Ryan Harper and Tanner Rainey warming. And I think it was if they had come back and tied it or maybe even gotten within a run, he would have gone with Rainey. And once they didn't, he decided, nope, you know what, we're going to have to punt this one and go with Harper instead, who was just called up to replace Suero. He had kind of a long, laborious inning there, and then McGowan had a 32-pitch top of the ninth. So it got a little bit dicey there. It got a little bit sloppy in the field as well. Not a great finish to the game, but I think you actually saw there, you wouldn't admit it, but I think you saw there Davey kind of recognizing it's just not happening today. Let's not burn up any of our A bullpen guys, save them for tomorrow, because they've all been worked a lot as well and just hope that you can get through this one and then move on to Monday. But, you know, it does speak to the larger point, which is for this bullpen to be as effective as they need it to be, they need their starters to consistently go six-plus innings. And that's what they were counting on all along, and that hasn't happened yet, aside you know, from Max Scherzer, and now hopefully Joe Ross can join that group. But, I mean, they're at a point where Joe Ross is their number two most reliable starter, and Eric Fetty is their number three. And that's a little bit dangerous position to be in.
0: One more thing on the pitching situation. This just always cracks me up. When the Nats put out a press release, and the Nats aren't the only team to do this, but they always make the headline about the guys coming up, not the guys going away. And so the headline of the press release today announcing Steven Strasberg and Wander Suero to the I.L. was Washington Nationals select the contract of Paulo Espino and recall Ryan Harper. And if all you do is read that headline, you're like, oh, okay, ho-hum, you know, a couple of guys are they're coming up. And then if you read it, you're like, whoa, Strasburg is on the IL, Suero's on the IL. I love the misleading headlines from PR staffs in sports sometimes. You know,
1: it's what they do. They're not alone in that. Fortunately, I've seen enough of them over the years that as soon as I see that, it triggers in my head what this actually means. <laughs> because there's no way that Paolo Spino's getting called up to start this game unless Steven Strasburg is not starting the game. So I kind of had a hunch, but then they make you click on the link. And now you got to read the whole thing and go down to about the third paragraph before you see what else is going on. I don't know. I guess it's PR mentality. Maybe it's the way that most teams want this stuff done. But you know, I think we all know what's what the real headline to that press release was or should have been.
0: Do they think people aren't going to read the, the release? <laughs> like they're just going to be like, oh, okay, nothing to see here. Like, I mean, eventually they're going to see the meaty part of the announcement but anyway that just that always makes me laugh so well uh the Nats pitching certainly wasn't great on Sunday but neither was the offense I mean let's be honest about this even if Strasburg pitches there's no guarantee the Nats win this game on Sunday you know it's been an up and down run here for the Nationals offense to begin this season and sure enough facing Madison Bumgarner and the Diamondbacks bullpen on Sunday Nats mustered just six hits three walks strikeout 11 times, total just two at-bats for the entire game with runners in scoring position. It was a very good performance by Trey Turner, who ends up being the leadoff batter in all four games in the series, a couple of solo homers. You got some good at-bats and good hits from, you know, guys like Kyle Schwarber, and you saw Starling Castro do some good things as well in the game. But it was a quiet series overall for Juan Soto. It was a rough series for Josh Bell. He didn't even start on Sunday. Ryan Zimmerman did and he struggled. And it just was not a great day, certainly for the Nationals offense. You know, they've had their moments here so far, but that consistency just has not been there.
1: No, you're right. It hasn't. And that was a little bit of a hallmark of the team uh, last year. And even going back to 2018, a lot of, uh, you know, some big days, you know, eight, nine runs, they'd score one day. And then the next day they're getting shut out or scoring one run. So that is a little bit troubling. A couple things here. Number one, That's not the real Madison Bumgarner anymore. That's not the Giants World Series hero on the mound. He doesn't have the same stuff. And I thought there was an opportunity for them to do a little more against him. They just missed on a few. I counted three balls of the warning track, Zimmerman, Castro, and Gomes. So there was some solid contact. But I think they were getting fooled by Bumgarner, and he was keeping them off balance with this cutter that would just move in a little bit on the hands, and maybe that prevented them from squaring it up on the barrel of the bat. They didn't miss by much, but it felt like that was a guy that they should have hit a little bit better. Point number two, Turner in the leadoff spot. We've talked about this. If he's going to hit home runs, you'd like them to be with somebody on base. And when you're leading off, it doesn't happen. Now, the first home run, he didn't lead off the inning. It was Robles and then the pitcher Espino making the outs. So he winds up with two outs, nobody on base. The eighth inning, he was leading off the inning. I get it. If you're not convinced that Robles is ready to be the leadoff man, even though he reached base three times today, then you're going to go with Trey Turner. But if you want to maximize Trey Turner's production, in my mind, you want him down in the second or the third spot so that he's coming up to bat with runners on base more often. That wasn't the case in this game. Who knows if that's make the difference or not. But that was one thing. And then, and I don't know if you want to get into the uh, the little things from this game, but there, I thought there was a big little thing in the top of the first one. Juan Soto tried to take an extra base and made the third out at third base, and it really cost them.
0: Oh, yeah. No, and, and you, you gave that toot bland status on Twitter, which I thought was totally valid. Bottom of the first, Soto draws a one-out full count, seven pitch walks, a great job of getting on base, but he gets thrown out at third base on a Starling Castro two-out full count single for the final out of the inning. The shortstop, Nick Ahmed, made a diving backhanded stab of the Castro grounder in shallow left, throws the first for the out, and then there's Drupal Cabrera, and Castro wasn't out, Cabrera gets the ball and then guns down Soto, who was essentially out by a mile at third base. And, you know, we've seen like this more aggressive base running from Juan Soto, and that's fine, but you better be safe there. And he wasn't. It was another instance of the Nats running themselves out of a run scoring opportunity.
1: And that was his read. I know some people on Twitter were asking me if Bob Henley's to blame for that third base coach. No, that's an instant read from Soto. He thought the ball had gotten farther away from Cabrera than it was It was really only a couple feet away from him. And I don't know, maybe he underestimated Cabrera's ability to then throw a strike across the diamond. But like you said, it wasn't that close of a play. And, you know, with one out, okay, maybe take the chance with two outs. And Josh Harrison has been red hot coming up next. It just did not feel like the gamble was worth it. The payoff was not that much just to get to third base with two outs and a pretty good hitter at the plate. So that's a costly mistake. And if they are going to be proceeding here without Strasburg, and with questions about Corbin and with John Lester not ready yet to make his debut, then you better do the little things right because that margin of error is going to be the difference in games. You're not going to win on the heels of your rotation right now. You got to do every other little thing right, base running and defense, and those do continue to be problems for
0: them. Yeah, and I want to get to the defense in a moment, but with Soto and this more aggressive base running, what happened on Saturday with Tim LaCastro is why you better be very careful if you're going to have Juan Soto running aggressively here. Tim LaCastro suffers a dislocated left pinky on that great throw up by Jan Gomes of Starling Castro on Saturday. And it's like those fluky things can happen when you're trying to steal a base or just trying to aggressively gain more bases. And like I'm all for teams being aggressive. I, you know, I don't like to handcuff people, but. I also am like you're Juan Soto, you're maybe the single best hitter in the sport. Is it really worth the risk? Like, what if, God forbid, he hurts he does something dumb like hurts a pinky, you know, and has to miss a week or two or whatever it ends up being. Like, is it really worth it? And now you you combine that with he's getting thrown out, okay? It's it's not like he's running the bases with this supreme efficiency. And I'm kind of like, what are we doing here? Okay, just be the great hitter that you are, you know? You don't have to be so fixated on. Trying to become this great base runner. Like, it's laudable that he wants to do that. But if you're not doing it well and you're exposing yourself to further injury risk, like, why are we continuing down this path?
1: I think it's situational. I think that's the way he has to approach it, and anyone in that position needs to approach it. If the situation is right and you want to be aggressive, go for it. I mean, you know, you can say that guys, star players need to be careful not to get hurt, but the same thing applies in the field, diving after balls. You know, sometimes it's it's running and trying to slide and score pick up an extra base, anything like that, like, you don't want to take that away from them. It is part of the game, and you don't want them to be overly tentative. And sometimes managers worry that players that are tentative end up hurting themselves. But there's a difference between that and being aggressive just for aggressive sake and not knowing the situation. So I'm okay with him running when the situation calls for it. That one on Sunday, it did not call for it. And I think there've been a few others where you could make the
0: same argument. All right. So before we get to the defense, you mentioned Victor Robles and I guess we are just done with him as a leadoff batter. Like that just doesn't seem to be something that's happening anymore. Robles starts games one, two and four in this series. He's either the number nine batter or the number eight batter in all three of those games in which he starts. And, you know, Robles actually didn't have that bad of a series. Three for nine with three singles, a walk and a hit by pitch. But this just seems to be where he's going to be. And all the talk about Robles as a leadoff man and this very good spring training that he had, like, apparently the leash wasn't that long, and Davies already pulled the plug on this. I mean, Mark, one of the things that really jumped out to me, the Friday night game, the game that Alex Avila started at catcher, Avila batted ahead of Robles. I I mean, I just, I look at that, and I'm like, man, Robles is batting eighth, and Avila's batting seventh? Like, for those who don't know, Alex Avila is not known for his bat at all anymore. Like, he's strictly a defensive catcher, you know, backup catcher. He just brings some good things to the table in that regard, but... He's not a good hitter, and he's not some young guy to where you're like, well, maybe he's about to bust out and blossom. Like, no, he's a, he's a veteran. Like, this is what he is. Robles is the guy who's supposed to have the upside, and they have him behind Avila on Friday night. And it's, you know, like to your point about Trey Turner, like, yes, he had a very good series, did a very good job as a leadoff man. But if he's going to be hitting bombs, you want him with men on base. I guess I'm just, I'm just surprised and disappointed that Robles didn't get a little while longer to try to assert himself as a leadoff batter. Like, the Nats have a, a penchant for doing this. They tell you we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and then, like, they either don't do it at all or they try it for, like, five minutes and then they immediately pull the plug on it. Like, they did it with Carter Keboom in some ways last year, and they did it with Robles as a leadoff batter this season. It's like, we're already done with this. Him is the number one batter.
1: I'm not going to say they're totally done with it yet. I am surprised that they made the switch when they did, and I'm not so sure that that's the last time we'll see it. I think what happens sometimes is they do something... And it either works or it doesn't work. And, you know, these people are superstitious <laughs> a little bit. And when something works, you want to stick with it. And when it doesn't work, you try something different. And then maybe you just do something different for one day, like that first day that Roblox hit ninth and Davey had his reasons for that specific day for doing it. And then if it goes well, you say, well, we got to stick with that again. We're not going to change it up just because this was the plan all along. And now you kind of get trapped <laughs> in this thing. I don't necessarily think it's over, especially when they struggle at the plate like they did Sunday. Maybe that is what spurs them to now go back to it again. Personally, I'd rather see more consistency there. I think especially a, a still younger player like Robles, it's best to just say, here's where you're going to hit. Go do your thing and we're, and don't be looking over your shoulder like we're going to judge you every single day to maybe make changes. He's reached base 18 times now in 13 games, and, and he didn't start one of them. And of the 18 times, nine of them have been because of a walker hit by pitch. I mean, that kind of sounds like a leadoff hitter to me, doesn't it? That's the kind of approach that you want to see from them. So I don't think it's necessarily over that the experiment is over. I don't know when it'll happen again or what the situation might be. The flip side of all that is they were kind of counting on Josh Bell being Soto's protection, and he has gotten off to a very slow start, 105 batting average. All those parts together, I think that's contributing to this. And it's maybe been a little bit difficult for Davey to find that 1 through 8 that he wants to stick with every day. Personally, I would give Robles another shot up there. I don't think there's a lot of harm in trying it for a little while and see what happens and see if you then ultimately can maximize what you get from Turner and Soto.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you say another shot. I'm not sure he ever got a shot. I mean, that was awfully quick to pull the plug on him. Like, I get it if after a month of this he's he's just terrible, like okay, you got to drop him then, but Good God. I mean, we've only played 13 games. They did this, like, what, four, five, six games into the season? They just stopped batting him leadoff. I don't know. I just think it's way too quick, especially for a guy like this, right? Highly touted. Remember, it was Robles who was the higher touted prospect in comparison with Soto just a few years ago, like five to a player. And, you know, let's see if he can become that guy. And if not, okay, then you can drop him. But I just find it very odd how quickly they did that. So with Robles, he did have an excellent defensive play on Sunday.
2: Here's a swing and a drive, well hit to straightaway center. Robles on the runway back there is going to turn and watch, and it's off the very top of the wall. Cabrera trying for second. Robles has a chance. He's got the throw on the fly to Castro to tag him out. Victor Robles with his first outfield assist of the year, and it was not all that close.
0: That outfield assist, I mean, that's the Victor Robles of 2019. That was a thing of beauty. Top of the third, Robles gunning down the X Nat as Druva Cabrera at second base on a single that Cabrera blasted off the center field wall. Robles catching the ball on one hop and then firing a laser that never touched the ground to Starling Castro at second base to get Cabrera easily and trying to stretch the single into a double. You also had another instance of Jan Gomes throwing out an attempted base dealer, Starling Castro, another great like snap tag. It's so interesting now, It seems like every team is abiding by this of when you throw to second on an attempted steal, you throw between the first and second base line so that the tag is applied as the runner's sliding into second, like in that base pathway. I don't remember seeing that as consistently as it seems like we've seen it so far this year.
1: No, I agree. I think more teams are doing it. I feel like Javier Baez of the Cubs was the first to really make a habit out of that. And everybody raved about his tagging ability. It's something we don't often think about how good of a tagger are you. And I think more teams have picked up on it and it absolutely makes sense especially in the replay era where it may look like a runner beats the throw because his hand is on the base and the tag is you know, on his back or his leg. But a lot of times that tag's being placed before the hand gets to the bag. And so even if it's not called out in live action, a lot of times those are being overturned because of replay. So I do think you're seeing more of it. And I think it's a good reminder that Starlin Castro is a good infielder, especially a middle infielder, which is what he's been his whole career. And he's playing third base now, but when they're in the shift They're very comfortable with him in that spot because he does have experience there. And so I I, I like how that's worked out for them. And just on the Robles throw, I asked around to see if they could get the official stat cast on it. I guess they don't do that on the throws anymore. But I think that was a 280-foot throw because he's at the base of the wall in center field that's 400 feet away. Second base is 120 feet from home plate. I'm not great at math, but 400 minus 120 equals 280. Maybe it's a little less, maybe it's 270, whatever the case, it was on the fly and it was a perfect strike. And that's what you need to see more of from Robles. He had a great catch the other night, the great throw here, things at the plate maybe haven't been great, but in the field, I feel like we're sort of returning to 2019 Victor Robles again.
0: Yeah, and if you combine that with the Andrew Stevenson error the other game, I think that's why Robles is your starter, because he can do things in center field that Stevenson and most guys just can't. Like, Robles is exceptionally gifted when it comes to his fielding. That outfield assist was outstanding. So, very good to see that, but we did see some more late-game defensive sloppiness from the Nats. You know, they had some major issues defensively in the top of the ninth of the 6-2 win on Saturday afternoon, and then on Sunday, Jan Gomes has a pass ball, And the Diamondbacks one run eighth and then Gomes with that run scoring throwing error on a pickoff throw in the one run ninth. So, you know, it feels like every game defensively, there is some good. It's not like it's all bad, but like every game, there's also at least a few things we end up talking about. We're like, geez, you know, they got to clean that up. And Sunday was no exception.
1: And again, like I said, it gets magnified when you're in the situation they're in. They cannot afford to do these little things wrong and it's costing them a run or two here or there. If you've got a lineup that's consistently scoring six, seven runs a night, maybe you can get away with it. If you have a rotation that is consistently giving you six, seven innings of you know lights out ball, maybe you can afford to do it. But when you're struggling in those two departments, your only chance of success is to do all the little things right, not to make mistakes like that. And um, so far, it has not been as clean as it should be. And, and Davey knows it and he's addressed it.
3: <music> Hey everyone, Tim Shervers here to tell you about Sunday Scaries. If you're listening to this on Monday morning, you probably just had a bout of this yourself over the weekend. You know we're getting to the point where prioritizing mental health is becoming less stigmatized. People are finally starting to talk about strategies to stay centered and calm in their everyday life. That's why I'm really excited to tell you about Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious And are easy to take on the go. Sunday scary CBD gummies help you live life scare free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax, especially after a tough loss like there was on Sunday, filled with bad news pregame with the Strasbourg injury. In fact, Sunday Scary CBD Gummies and CBD Oil have won glowing coverage in publications like Men's Health, Forbes, Allure. And best products. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at Sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at Sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Ready to chill out and get some much needed peace of mind? Head to Sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. <music>
0: Well, we have a three-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals coming up. The Nationals, boy, they have had a rough go of it early this season with a very stiff competition early and just a total lack of off days here. you got some off days coming up, but got another batch of games uh, on the horizon here first. Three games against the Cardinals at Nationals Park, Monday night, Tuesday night, and then Wednesday afternoon. The Nats uh, did put out their starting pitching probables, although these days with the Nats, you don't know until the game actually starts. But Joe Ross, Monday night. Patrick Corbin Tuesday night, and boy, is that going to be a fascinating watch. And then Max Scherzer on Wednesday. It's amazing, but you said it, and it's so true. Joe Ross right now is your number two starter, and Eric Fetty right now is your number three starter, at least with the way each guy has pitched so far this year.
1: It's not what they expected. I mean, but that's a really nice positive development, and if they can get the other guys straightened out, then that's great news for them because they will have five or even six legitimate big-time starters. So let's see now Ross facing the Cardinals again. How does it go the second time around against them? I mean, the stuff has been really good. The movement he's getting on both the sinker and the slider has been fantastic. So I'm really anxious and interested to see how he looks in that game. And then Tuesday with Corbin, kind of the way I felt about Strasburg when I thought he was going to be pitching in this game, it's a huge start for him. This is the start where we're going to find out, is he OK or is there something that's really wrong there? And I don't think this is intentional. It's worked out this way, but it is worth noting now. John Lester is throwing a simulated game also on Tuesday in Fredericksburg, supposed to go five innings, 80-85 pitches. If that goes well, you would think that he could probably be ready to go. And if Corbin has another rough one or there's reason to believe that something's wrong with him, it is set up at least for them to make that switch and Lester ends up in the rotation. The good news, if there is one, for all of this as far as the pitching is concerned, is that they have finally have off days coming up. They have four of them in the next three weeks. And because of that, they could get away without a fifth starter until Saturday, May 8th against the Yankees, I believe it is. If everybody pitches every fifth day and, and if, you know, Corbin is OK for that starter, if not, if it's Lester, they could get through that and survive for a little while here. But there's no more margin for error. They need all the rest of them to be good and able to pitch every fifth day. And that's just getting through a few weeks. I would expect that Strasburg is missing more time than that because even when he's deemed healthy, he's going to need time to build his arm back up. And I don't think they're just going to put him out there until they're 100% sure.
0: Well, I will say this. Davey Martinez, much to my delight, back on March 25th in a pregame Zoom press conference did say that he was open to using openers this upcoming season. And the off days may mean that that's not necessary. But I wonder if in the back of Davy's mind, maybe in the back of Mike Rizzo's mind, as reluctant as the organization has been to use that strategy, if maybe we might not see that at some point in the coming weeks, if Strasburg remains out, if Corbin continues to struggle or he has to go on the I.L., the opener may be a thing. Open to the opener is what Davey told us a little less than a month ago. So we'll see if that gets put into action.
1: I hope it doesn't come to that because I'm not a fan of it, just from an aesthetic standpoint. I understand it can be an effective pitching strategy, but from an aesthetic standpoint, when your starter is being pulled in the first inning or the second inning and you know it's going to be a long day now with a lot of pitching changes, I don't personally find that to be enjoyable baseball. If it comes to it, hey, you do what you have to do, but hopefully they're not in that boat.
0: What's funny is the one time they did it, it worked in that the opener was good. Matt Grace was excellent. And then Joe Ross came into the game and struggled in that game. But Nats have only done it once. Seems like the Rays and the Brewers and the A's have done it a ton over the years. But just something to be thinking about, especially with the lack of pitching depth. You know, maybe they, they turned to Paolo Espino. Oh, who the heck knows? But uh, for now, the Nats are uh, dealing with some struggles here in terms of the rotation, both uh, with performance and and with injury. But Joe Ross has been quite good. So hopefully he's able to give the Nats another good outing come Monday night. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. Latest Apple podcast rankings in the U.S. baseball category up four spots. Are we Mark to number 12 in the country? That's outstanding.
1: Number 12 and climbing. And I understand that there's been a push for some merchandising, merchandising. Maybe some fans would like some T-shirts and hats. We'll see or uh, mugs. Let's see if Tim uh, can take care of that for us. But we are uh, ascending. Unlike the Nationals at the moment are kind of floating around, kind of hovering around, trying to stay relevant. We are ascending right now on the podcast rankings.
0: My goal is for us to get bobblehead dolls at one point. I don't know how. I don't know when. But if we can do that, (laughs) I I feel like we've arrived. So that'd be a good thing.
1: I can't even imagine what our bobbleheads would look like, but <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be—it's got to be the talking bobbleheads. At least in your case, it's got to be the talkable ones, right?
0: It wouldn't be pretty. It wouldn't be pretty. But anyway, we thank everyone for the support. Uh, Subscribe—that really helps out a lot. Leave a review of the podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts, if you could. That helps out a lot. But uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Glad you guys are enjoying this. All Nationals Radio highlights on Nat Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Natch Chat Podcast.
2: You know, the people start booing me before I go to the mound, and I, you know, and they ask me after, it. you know, uh, what were your thoughts? And I go, these people are booing like, you know, they, they came to see Miss Universe, and they end up watching, you know, Miss Iowa. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine,